You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 163 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. First of all, I want to thank all the people who support this podcast by becoming patrons. And uh, I've been very busy at the beginning of this year and I had to record a bunch of these episodes in advance before I knew that you had become a patron. And, you know, when you become a patron and support the podcast, I will give a shout out and thank you by name in a future episode. But if you've become a patron in the last couple of months, you know, I still haven't done that. I'm sorry, but I will name drop you and thank you publicly as soon as possible. And uh, all you got to do is have a little patience. And if you want to be a patron, go to patreon.com forward slash naturalmonalchemist. And there you will get, get access to a bunch of additional material as well as these episodes in advance before anyone else. And yes, I've said it before, uh, if you are a patron, you will uh, be a sort of VIP. And you don't have to listen to these episodes when all the normal average Joes listen to them. You know, you can listen to them before them, you know. Stay ahead of the curve. And you'll also get access to, to all this other material, as I mentioned. So join us and support the podcast. I appreciate it greatly. I, I really do. And if you can't support the podcast by becoming a patron for a few bucks a month, uh, you are supporting it by listening to it. So thank you for that. Does this podcast make a sound if there are no listeners? I think it does and uh, but you know it's more fun if somebody listens it is the last Sunday of the month and as usual we are going to listen to a pre-recorded talk but uh, this time it will be a little different the topic of this episode is simulation theory and basically simulation theory is this concept that Reality is actually a virtual reality, meaning that we are living in some sort of virtual reality program or construct, like the film The Matrix, for instance. And this theory is becoming more and more popular. And, you know, we are influenced by the rise of virtual reality. You know, we can see if it's possible, if it's possible in that sense, why isn't it possible in this sense, you know. So that's the topic of discussion. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a 20-minute mix of various people talking about this topic, after which I am going to talk a bit about it myself. And you'll hear from Thomas Campbell, Elon Musk, Duncan Trussell, Dan Harmon, Terence McKenna, and even Richard Dawkins, in fact. So sit back, stretch your legs if you can, pour a cup of tea or whatever poison that you formed a relationship with and dive into the concept of simulation theory. You know, the traditional view of, of reality as being, uh, you know, a... Hard, massy uh, stuff being this this solid uh, matter reality 
uh, is a is really a belief. It's not a it's not a real thing. And and in the last decade or so, scientists have come around more and more to agree with me on that. In fact, today it's a it's probably the the single most uh, growing movement within physics today is seeing this reality as information. That means, uh, for example, uh, before we thought of an electron as a little chunk of mass with uh, charge. And now we tend to think of an electron as a point with the attributes of mass and the attributes of charge. And we've made that change because the experiments that we do as physicists have pushed us to that conclusion. In other words, the, if we describe this reality as information at the basic level, you see a, a, a point with the attributes of mass and charge is exactly the way you would describe an electron in a computer simulation. It's just information. Given that we, you know, given if, that that's the case, that we are in a virtual reality, then a good way to look at what is reality is looking at other virtual realities. And we can come to some idea about what this means to be in a virtual reality. And a good example uh, that many uh, people have firsthand experience with is uh, The Sims or the World of Warcraft. And now there are dozens more, but that's, you know... <laughs> My familiarity with computer games kind of runs out after my children got old enough to leave home. So uh, I can't give you too many uh, more modern updates. But anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about the World of Warcraft because that's a, that's a pretty good example and it's easy to talk about. Uh, so that's a virtual reality where the World of Warcraft set creates a reality wherein your elf or your barbarian or whoever the other characters are... Um, play, they interact and do whatever they can do there. You know, they can walk and run and fight and, you know, they can run away or they can, you know, go in, in a house through the door and their reality is programmed so that uh, they have rules of what they can do and what they can't do. For instance, your elf cannot walk through a door, it has to open it. Uh, it can't walk through rocks or trees either. If it stays underwater too long, it drowns. If it jumps off a high cliff, it will get hurt or it will get killed in doing so. So these are all parts of the rule set that define the World of Warcraft reality. Your elf can only jump so high, run so fast, only have so many spells, so many hit points. Your elf's consciousness is you. You play the role of the consciousness. Okay, you, the player with the, with the computer screen. And the way it works is that the server that hosts that virtual reality sends you a data stream which lets you see what's going on and what your elf is doing and what else is going on in your elf's environment. And you um, send the data stream back to the server telling it what, you're, what you want your elf to do. Does your elf run or fight or dance or whatever it is? It, your elf can't do anything. It just sits there, stands there and doesn't do anything at all if you don't give it instructions. So the elf is called an avatar. That's your body in this World of Warcraft game. And you, the consciousness, okay, are the, are the player. Now, here's a, an interesting idea. You, the consciousness, cannot exist in the same reality frame as the elf, the body, the avatar. 
you, the consciousness, have to exist in the same reality frame as the server. Okay? You and the server are part of the same reality frame, but the elf is not in that reality frame. It is impossible for the elf to open a door on a building somewhere in the World of Warcraft uh, reality frame and find the server that's creating his reality inside that door. In other words, the, a, a uh, virtual reality cannot create itself of reality. Now, this unit of consciousness that's the player uh, is, is immersed in the game. Unlike you, when you play World of, World of Warcraft, you can get up and uh, you know, go to the refrigerator and make a sandwich and then come back, and everything basically, is, as far as your character goes, your character just stands there and doesn't do anything until you come back. Well, our, our game is a little different in several ways. The player is immersed, so that's all the player does. It doesn't take a break. It uh, basically is in this game in an immersive way. Another big difference between them is World of Warcraft is a programmed virtual reality, and ours is an evolved virtual reality. Right now, we're inside a computer program. Is it really so hard to believe? Your clothes are different, the plugs in your arms and head are gone. Your hair has changed. Your appearance now is what we call residual self-image. It is the mental projection of your digital self. This, this isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. The, the, the strongest argument for, the, for us being in a simulation, probably being in a simulation, I think is the following. Um, that that 40, called 40, 40 years ago, we had Pong, like two rectangles and a dot. That right. was what games were. Um, now, 40 years later, we have photorealistic 3D simulations with millions of people playing simultaneously, and it's getting better every year. And soon we'll have virtu you know, vir virtual reality, we'll augmented reality, um, if you assume any rate of improvement at all, um, then the games will become indistinguishable from reality. Just in, indistinguishable. Um, e even if that rate of advancement drops by a thousand from what it is right now, um, then you just say, okay, well, well let's imagine it's 10,000 years in the future, uh, which is nothing in the evolutionary scale. Um, so, um, so, so given that we're clearly on a trajectory to have games that are indistinguishable from reality, and those games could be played on any set-top box or on a PC or whatever, and there would probably be you know, billions of such uh, you know, computers or set-top boxes, it would seem to follow that 
the odds that we're in base reality is one in billions. Right. And, and actually, I mean, arguably we should hope that that's true because otherwise if, if civilization stops advancing, then that may be due to some calamitous event that erases civilization. So maybe we should be hopeful that this is a simulation because e either we're going to create simulations that are indistinguishable from reality or civilization will cease to exist. Those are the two options. Theoretically, if Elon Musk is somehow right, or Bostrom is right, and we are living in a simulation, this is a computer, some super advanced computer simulating reality, then theoretically we should be able to use the tools of science to hack into the thing and start performing actual miracles, one of which would be right. the ability to, just like if you were in a video game, reverse the flow of time. Mm -hmm. And so the time machine could possibly exist, especially could exist, if we're existing in a simulator. So if these people really believe that this is a simulation, then they need to be doing more. that there'd be many more simulated universes than real universes. Real universes are hard to create. Maybe there's one, maybe there's a few, but it's hard to imagine that you could create them in as great abundance as you could create universes in a computer. You come home at night, you flick it on, you create a universe, you sort of kick back and you watch what happens. So he argues that it's therefore much more likely just based on the statistics that we are in a simulated universe than that we're not in a simulated universe. So I wrote about this in a book that spoke about various ways in which you can imagine other universes. And the surprise for me was people came back and said to me, and then Nick, I read later, people said to him too, this for them was the most convincing argument for a creator. Because now the creator was not some mysterious being. Mm. It was some futuristic teenage kid with pimples in his garage who just <laughs> created the universe. So, my question to you, what do you think about that? I, I can't see how you could refute it. I mean, I, I, I can't see how you would actually be sure that we're not uh, a... Um, if, if a religion were to rise up, where people were honoring the teenage kid, would you go around and say, I get it, you can't refute it, and I'm kind of okay with it? I, I wouldn't worship him. No, no, I agree with that. <laughs> that, that I could have, could have guessed from the outset. But in that situation, where it's less like fairies, it's less like, you know, ghosts, it's less yeah. of this crazy idea, yes. there's actually a logical sequence of words that can be given, yes. meaning where there yeah. is a creator to this world, what do you say then? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm intrigued by the thought that 
Um, when you make a simulated world, yeah. and, and, and there, are, I mean, there are crude ones like Second Life, yeah. um, there has to be a, a physics built into it. Yes. Um, and, and when you drop things, they fall, and when you throw them up and catch them, it works. But you can violate that physics. I mean, the, sim the, the, the pimply youth doing the simulation can some, somehow just it, at, at, at will change the physics, and you could suddenly fly, as you, indeed you can in, in Second Life. Um, it's got to be a pretty disciplined pimply youth that sees to it. As that, a creator of yes, this world should be, yeah, I would say. Yes, but that, that we, don't, we don't see that. Well, I suppose we don't. I mean, may, you know, maybe, maybe... Well, maybe he wipes our memory clean after yeah, playing yeah, around with yeah, us, yeah. right? Uh, all these yeah. things are possible. Yes. If you take the leap into more wild-eyed speculation, then you have the possibility of, um, and this is fully explored in Greg Egan's fiction as well, the possibility of digitizing human experience, actually uh, downloading consciousness out of bodies and into machines. Well, everybody says, well, that's a horrible idea. I wouldn't have that done to me. Well, would you if you were 24 hours away from death? If that were the option? If they were saying, you know, we're either going to pull the plug or we're going to download you and then pull the plug. Check which box you would prefer. Uh, how many people would say, well, I don't know, I've always been skeptical about this download business, but hey... Uh, at this point, why not? Well, then, but the strange thing is digitizing a digital existence is, may turn out to be an eternity of experience. Uh, we operate at 100 hertz sitting here, 100 cycles a second. That's about how the rate at which your body-mind system works. The PC sitting on the desk comes now, if it's a good one, with two 400 megahertz processors in it. What, what is that? 80,000 times more events can be packed by that computer into a second than uh, you can pack into a second. Uh, ten, uh, an hour inside that computer is like 80,000 hours outside the computer. So right at the brink of death, you can suddenly opt for a strange new kind of eternal existence. Not that different from being born. I mean, it involves a machine, of course, but maybe biological death will be something for Mennonites and the Amish and every all the rest of us will opt for, of course, digital existence and but then of course you know there have to be insurance policies to make sure your disk isn't erased and the electricity keeps running and nobody rewrites your code and nobody overwrites your code and uh, yes I would have to be very careful up any and then the question is you know whose obligation after a few hundred years 
whose obligation is it to keep these digital ghosts alive? Uh, is it society's obligation after your fortune has long been run out and your relatives have forgotten you and you're still romping through the virtual fields of Elysium? Uh, who, of course, maybe there's you can do useful work in there and be paid and deposit that salary into the account which keeps the machine running, which keep it's all comes down to money, isn't that weird? Very interesting. I mean, it, it's, it's all money, you know? How much life you can buy, how many indulgences your tithing can procure for you. <laughs> it's all paying off somebody. As William Burroughs said, it's all some kind of a racket. Let's pretend for a moment that this isn't just like a kind of like beautiful poetic conceptual yes. hybrid, and that universes both expand and don't both expand and contract. And that time, let's just pretend like, like like that time is a constant that it marches forward. Yes, but it marches forward on a plane we don't understand because we're th we're a thousand simulations deep. Let's say there's a source universe, like yes. an original universe. So once upon a time, in the beginning. There was reality. Yes. There was nothing that exploded into everything, Big Bang, and then this universe got created, and then these sentient life forms got created. And they yeah. were like, holy shit, we're sentient. This is amazing. Oh, fuck, planet's dying. Let's move to the moon. Oh, man, we terraformed the moon. It's amazing. Oh, shit, the moon's dying. Let's move out into space. Oh, man, we figured out how to tap into space, and we don't even care. Oh, shit, we can live our lives, like, sucked into a matrix. Like, and so, but then at some point, something happens. Something that even for that species is the equivalent of an asteroid heading for the yeah. dinosaurs. And everyone's conscious of it, and they go, this is doomsday. Now, that might be the death of the universe. If we evolve to a certain point, we will get to a point where it's not meteors threatening our lives. It's not global warming. It's not food running out. It's not the laws of thermodynamics. It is the fucking law of the Big Bang that says the universe isn't infinite it's an explosion that will end. Yeah. Energy will end. And we get to the very limits of that. And so what do we do as these gods that are surfing that wave? We go, oh, shit, we're about to hit the sand. When we do, no matter what we do, everything will end. What should we do? Let's call Todd from IT. <laughs> Todd from IT goes, guys, this is a pitch I've been giving you for a long time. Now maybe you're willing to listen. What I'm telling you is, put these helmets on. <laughs> Why, Todd? Why would we spend the last moments of our lives playing a video game instead of surfing? Because, motherfucker, in the video game, like, a, a computer thinks uh. 8 billion times per second. Like, we can effectively freeze time. We can start this uh, life over, and we can maybe figure it out this time. 
or uh, we can come up with a solution. We can, or we can just uh, run so this good. thing and watch them and see if they learn because we ran out of time. So let's use our last minute, expanding that minute into a Grand Theft Auto uh, or a, a, a chess uh, computer thinking its moves over. So what happens inside that minute? An infinity during which those sentient beings were simulated same thing happens to them. So we so they go, guys, call Todd from IT, and it keep and and it we are, we're, we're, it goes on forever, which is the solution. It's the, it, it's eternity. If you parabolically, uh, uh, yeah, geometrically keep cutting um, the last moment of your life into increasingly small pieces, um, it, it, one one conventional wisdom would have it that oh, there's a unit of time that cannot be divided anymore. But then another way of looking at it is, no, you can keep dividing time in half forever and thereby experience eternity. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. thousand years ago people described their experience with reality using words that was available to them at the time words like angel or elves or unicorns and today we use 2.0 or ui user interface to talk philosophically about the world we live in at least if we are part of that weird group that see reality as a vr world you know, for some people, especially those that are not into computers that much, this might, might just sound like we are taking the plot of Inception and the Matrix too seriously. But it's pretty simple, actually. We have to look at reality as an algorithm. That's my, my view. I'm aware that you could use the word code or computer program as well, but I, I like the word algorithm. For example, if we want to bake a cake we need to first get the ingredients we have to combine them and then you know bake them you know and this would be an algorithm the ingredients we need to combine like sugar flour eggs that is the program 
And each part of this program are codes. So the sugar in this algorithm is a piece of code. And the, and the recipe is the algorithm, I guess you could say. The way you put it together. Now I'm not sure that metaphor works well. But let me say it in this way then. The way I try to think of reality, of the universe, of, of nature, is that it is an algorithm. A set of rules that precisely define a sequence of operations. So you could say that reality is made up of code, that reality is a program, but what makes it be what it is? Well, that is the algorithm. I think that the limited monkey brain that we all have, I think it needs simplicity to understand complexity. And I'm not sure this line of thinking will help anyone else. But personally, looking at reality as an algorithm makes a big difference for me in how I should approach it. Astronomically, things shift in accordance to some sort of algorithm. The precession of equinoxes in particular, which is a cycle of approximately 26,000 years. And as far as I understand it, the Earth shifts one degree every 72 years. The breath of our whole galaxy, this beating drum of 26,000 years, is a significant event from our perspective in the cosmos. And there is a bump towards a new age every 72 years. If we look at nature as an algorithm, perhaps such an algorithm might have something to do with the number 72. After all, the life duration of the ovule is 72 hours. 72 is the average number of cardiac pulsations per minute, and the human body is composed of 72% water. Is this why they built 72 stupas, like dome-shaped buildings, which compromise Borobudur? the world's largest Buddhist temple? Perhaps 72 is part of the algorithm of the universe. And if science is trying to discover the algorithm of the universe and of life, artificial or not, they unknowingly use the very same algorithm. For example, the common limit for characters per line in computing is 72. But as with any number, you can claim apophenia which is a tendency to perceive meaningful patterns with random data. So let's not dwell on 72 anymore. But if Douglas Adams said the meaning of life is 42, actually it's 72. Now science has in recent years started working on a lot of algorithms based on nature. Some of these are artificial bee colony algorithms, firefly algorithms, the plant propagation algorithm, and many others. And there was a study done that revealed that the behavior of harvester ants as they forage for food mirrors the protocols that control traffic on the internet. Pretty weird, if true. But it goes with my line of thinking. All I'm saying here is nothing new. This is basically what Darwin and Wallace said in regards to evolution. It is a sort of algorithm that in the end achieves an end result. That there is a larger algorithm that picks up the end result of the first algorithm and continues forward. But one aspect of any algorithm is that it has an end. It is not eternal, even if the algorithms can take up the relay baton of the previous incarnation. 
but an algorithm can fall into an infinite loop if the continuation condition of the loop never becomes false. So basically, this reality we find ourselves in will be infinite as long as we don't start to see it for what it is. An algorithm. Now is that false? Well, that depends on your perspective. But if you view reality as true, you are probably in an infinite loop. Although there is still hope. Within the algorithm, there is the freedom to manipulate it. Bit by bit. And yes, the pun is intended. I'm not sure if any of that made sense. Uh, It makes sense to me. Should I make like a brief conclusion of what I just said to make sure you understood what I said? Um, How could I rephrase it? You know, we have been talking about simulation theory. Is this reality a simulation or isn't it? Well, I'm saying that reality is an algorithm. So if it's true or if it isn't true that reality is a simulation, it's beside the point because it's an algorithm nonetheless. And don't try and imagine that there's some alien creature that's created a computer program and we are all like part of a computer. I don't think it's that that simple. I think the simulation of the virtual reality that we are living in is a much more advanced form of hyper-dimensional, interdimensional, uh, biological, energetic kind of simulation, of course. Way more advanced than, you know, World of Warcraft or something like that. Regardless, if reality is a virtual reality or not, it doesn't matter. It's an algorithm nonetheless. There is a code in nature. And the more you understand the code, the more you see the code, the more flow you will feel in your life, if that makes sense. Does this matter? Famous guru Nem Karoli Baba said, It's better to see God in everything than to try and figure it out. And that's what I'm saying, in a sense. Because if you learn to appreciate the algorithm of existence and see the very simple yet complex code of nature, then you are seeing God in everything. Because if there is an algorithm, that algorithm comes from God. Or, as you all know, if you listen to this podcast a lot, it comes from what I like to call the divine mystery. I talk about simulation theory and the afterlife and such subjects a lot in this podcast. I find them fascinating. But I certainly don't like think about it daily in my life. Not in the sense that I walk around feeling that the world is not real. You know, because there's one aspect of all this, of the simulation theory, that people don't seem to realize. It's the most important aspect. It does not matter if reality is real or not, because when you are immersed in it, it is real. And when you listen to that 
mix earlier when people were talking about simulation theory, you could hear on many occasions when the, when there was an audience that they they were laughing. And to me, that's a sign that it's a scary thought, because that's how comedy works. You know, you say things that you know people laugh because they get nervous, not because it's funny. Not always, you know. So I thought that was interesting as well, if you noticed. What you should do, if I'm permitted to give advice, is to take it easy. Reality might be real, and there might be rules to the algorithm that force you to feel sick, feel pain, suffer, and die. But that is the game. So, you know, play it well, and don't forget that the algorithm also allows for bliss, peace, pleasure, and love as well. I want to finish with a song I've actually already played in this podcast way back in episode 33 called Minecraft's End by Eric Fullerton. Why play this song again, you might ask? Well, I love the lyrics, so pay attention to the lyrics, if you will. And uh, you can find more of Eric's music at ericfullerton.bandcamp.com. All the links and additional information can be found on nashabornalchemist.com as usual. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if not, there's a new one next week, so maybe that one will be better. Freedom is in the mind. I see the player you mean It is reading our thoughts as though they were words on a screen They used to hear voices before players could read Sometimes disturbing, sometimes beautiful indeed Does it know that we love it, that the universe is kind? A million years ago it still works in the reality behind And the universe Said you are the night.
sorry, and the game was over. Wake up.